Hello and welcome to this episode of Pensions Cast, a podcast where we discuss topical pension issues being faced by companies, pension scheme trustees and pension scheme members. I'm Raj Modi, a partner at PwC working with our clients here in the UK and around the world on a wide range of pension issues. We recorded the first three episodes of this podcast, Pensions Cast, virtually, and today we're all together physically in the studio, which is a welcome change. Should be in for a great discussion today. I'm pleased to be joined by Adam Briggs. Hi, Adam. Hi, Raj. Who heads up our pensions ESG investment area, and Liz Ramsaran, who is a lawyer. Hi, Liz. Hi, Raj. And you are responsible for what we call, well, responsible pensions, so good governance in pension schemes and good decision-making. I'm also delighted to welcome to this podcast our first-ever guest speaker, Clive Mather. Hi, Clive. Good morning, Raj. And Clive is chair of the Church of England's Pensions Board, which a job you've been doing for the last three years, working to deliver pensions, housing, retirement services to all those who work or minister for the church, which is some 41,000 people. So I thought PwC in the UK was a large organisation with a mere 25,000 people. Um, but that is a, a, a lot of people under your remit there. And that's along with other numerous roles you've got, Clive, I know in the UK and overseas. In, in short, you're someone that's got a wealth of experience and knowledge about environmental and um, ESG issues, which is what we're going to be talking about today. I'm keen to dive straight in. So, Clive, can we start with the fundamental subject, really, the, the question of what people call green investments versus grey investments? There's a lot of regulation talk um, best practice coming down the track for pension, anyone who runs pension schemes, including pension scheme trustees. What is your take on that fundamental debate, grey versus green? Well, it's certainly very live, Raj. And the truth is that it's quite hard to define green and quite hard to define grey. I think what we recognise, however, is that the world is becoming more and more conscious of the risks of climate change, primarily through carbon emissions. And anybody who's looked at the IPCC report that came out in the last few days, I hope is feeling slightly concerned. I'm feeling very worried, and I think it's now common when trustees get together that this is pretty high on the list of things they want to talk about. So we, the Church of England, are an activist investor. I mean, we're somebody who believes that we have a responsibility in stewardship that goes beyond simply financial returns. So I'm not going to pretend that we're neutral on this subject. We're not. We get engaged. We work hard with companies, with governments and so on in order to demonstrate the higher standards of ESG, so the wider responsible ethical issue in all that we do. Now, we do that because we care, but we also do it because it's in the financial interests of our members. Quite clear, it's in the financial interests of our members. So we can demonstrate a higher rate of return as a result of viewing investment opportunities through a green lens 
than we can by not doing so. And if I take the last two years, our returns have been excellent. And of course, our primary investment vehicle in equities, which is the Transition Pathway Initiative, and, and anybody as a corporate pension fund or other can invest in that, has outperformed, for example, the FTSE. So this is a matter of objective record that you don't lose out by going green. But it is hard work. It is hard work. You have to apply yourself, although TPI can help in that. And there's no doubt that anybody, if they wish, can see in other areas attractive investment opportunities. So the grey market hasn't gone away, and the grey market will give you, there's no question in some cases, short-term returns. And I mean, we sit today on the 12th of April in the middle of the most horrendous conflict that we could ever have imagined in my lifetime. And guess what? We're paying record prices for our gasoline and so on. And that isn't going to end anytime soon, alas. So it's a challenging debate. Um, I would also argue, though, it's not just a question of returns. It's also about risk, real risk. I mean, uh, I'm sure we're going to get into the issue of fiduciary responsibility in this conversation. And we know that we owe to our members and we owe to wider society as trustees responsibility to look ahead. And if we look ahead, we can clearly see the climate is warming up and we can clearly see that's going to significantly, substantially and increasingly impact corporates and sovereign states who offer us investment opportunities. And we've got to factor that in. Otherwise, we could find as trustees that the portfolio of assets that we have today simply doesn't perform over the medium and long term. There is so much to go for in that, Clive, and we'll definitely come back to the neutrality point and how that squares up against how trustees have to make objective decisions. And of course, you raise quite rightly that ESG, and to spell that out, environmental, social and governance, there is more in ESG than just Correct. climate change. So we, we will come back to that too. But let me just um, focus particularly on that financial returns point and Adam I'd like to bring you in. So as Clive said, we sit here in April 2022 in the middle of one of uh, you know, the most shocking, sad um, crises that you could have imagined going on around the world. That has, though, had an unusual impact in the short term on the grey versus green debate, uh, the returns of so-called grey investments. Now, that is just a short term point. But where are you at on that? Uh, issue, Adam, of, of financial returns of in green versus grey. Thanks, Raj. So I think what you're alluding to there is um, the high returns that energy companies have had in 2022 as commodity prices have, have risen um, as a result of the global instability that we've seen. And I've seen a lot of market participants out there who are taking this as some kind of argument against ESG investing and saying that actually these grey assets still can generate a lot of returns. I think this is quite risky, and there's there's two key risks, really. First of all, there's the transition risk. So if you're holding fossil fuel investments, at some point these are going to be regulated out of existence and no longer socially acceptable to hold. So you're, eventually your, your investment 
value is going to go to zero. And that could happen very suddenly. Um, secondly, there's the physical risks. So as, as we um, produce more carbon emissions, um, there's more likelihood of extreme weather events and global warming. And this has an impact on a wide range of companies and industries. Um, as a simple example, the, the property sector uh, will be severely impacted by hurricanes um, as a result of global warming. So by continuing to fund fossil fuels, uh, you are harming your returns in the long term. And I think, um, Raj, as you mentioned, we, we have focused a bit on climate here, um, but actually there are social and governance factors as well. Uh, an example of this could be social media. So there's a lot of disinformation being spread on these social media platforms that could also bring about significant global instability, um, which is also a si systemic risk uh, for investment returns in the long term. Okay, so Liz, why don't we try put, putting some of that all together against the legal and governance considerations. So Clive's talked about having an activist mindset and there's a, there's a deliberate opinion and point of view in the way that um, he's going about things. Alan's talked about some of the financial factors we need to consider. Where does that leave us? I want to just turn to the, personalise it. What are the considerations that trustees need to be going through? What is their thought process? And maybe start with what are the legal parameters that, that, that affect their thought process? Yeah, sure. So it's it's definitely not straightforward, that's for sure. And as Clive mentioned, fiduciary duties do need to be at the heart of everything trustees do. So just to be clear, that means that trustees need to be thinking, um, acting in the best interests of members. And by that, we generally mean financial interests of members. They also need to be applying a, a test called a prudent man test. So really, all their decision making needs to be in the ground in the basis that a prudent man would make a decision. Um, it's generally now accepted, as we've said, that there are climate the climate risks look to be financial risks, and there's a lot of data to support that. And with big schemes such as the Church of England scheme, we're now actually seeing a lot more data to support impact investing on more of a social level as well. And in many ways, we need the larger institutions to keep impact investing and generating returns and evidence to support the positive financial impact of impact investing in order to give trustees the data to be able to make those decisions in line with their fiduciary duties. So really, it is incumbent on the whole financial services sector to be showing how impact investing works, which then creates financial data that trustees can rely on so that they can make their decisions in line with their fiduciary duties, which are always going to be couched in financial factors. But but it's not only the short-term returns, Raj. We also need to be thinking about the risks and the potential financial risks of longer-term investment. So as Adam says, if we know certain categories of investment are going to get regulated out of existence, trustees need to bear that in mind and factor that into their decision making because they're looking at the risks throughout their whole time horizon, not just the short term. Well, let me bring Clive back in there and turn back to you, Clive, because Liz, Adam and I sit here and we advise clients and organisations on these issues, but you're on the ground implementing it. We're talking about making these judgments as if it's possible to have perfect foresight about what the future course of some of these different types of assets will be but I'm not sure that is possible and I'm not sure it's even possible today to know exactly how you can categorize something as green 
versus gray or different shades of green. So how do you go about that? How do you tackle the data challenge, if you like, or the analysis challenge? How do you know what's green and what's gray? Rog, this is an excellent question and um, it, it demands our attention. Now, when I joined the pension board of the Church of England three years ago, the transition pathway initiative was that it was an initiative and it's moved on a lot now and it's now become a center a well-funded and of course heavily reliant upon the grantham institute in the london school of economics which provides this extraordinarily rigorous objective review of corporates uh, and indeed beyond that now, uh, not just in terms of equities, but at bonds and then uh, over time into sovereign risk. So we are beginning to build a world database that is free. It, it's being offered for the good of the world. It's been funded, generally speaking, by those like us and many others uh, across the world who care in terms of the startup, but it's now being taken over by a significant charitable investment uh, on a world scale. So this institute is really digging in now, sector after sector after sector, hundreds and thousands of corporates to analyze their understanding of climate risk, to analyze their plans and report on their performance. Now it's not perfect, but it's immensely better than it was a few years ago. And I am certain that in a couple of years' time, this is going to become the go-to objective test as to how you measure green in terms of ESG. And can I ask you a follow-up question on that? So let's just take a specific example, something like electric cars versus petrol cars. There's a mantra that suggests that electric cars are better but I think when you start looking at how they're manufactured, the you know the right end, the whole end-to-end -end process from the mining of the minerals and the the manufacturing ingredients that are required to put together an electric car, that's a really complex assessment to make. Will this initiative you're talking about handle and tackle that kind of complexity of assessment? It is. It is highly complex, you're right. And I think the electric car is a really good example. But of course, it goes way beyond carbon emissions. So we're now talking the wider environmental impact. And we're looking at rare metals. We're looking at recycling. We're looking at safe disposal. There's an immense spectrum of issues as to how this whole process from design, manufacture, use, uh, end of use impacts our environment. So I'm not going to pretend that's easy. And in fact, bluntly, the electric car is bathed in a green tinge because it's electric. If you look beyond that, if you go under the bonnet, as it were, it's not as green as it would seem by any means. And of course, other major sectors fall into the same category, not least the whole digital world. You know, when I started with information technology many years ago, memory was the key resource. My word, we almost had zero memory. Now memory is free. We think. I mean, I've got more memory on my mobile phone than I could ever have imagined a decade ago. However, that memory isn't free. There are vast 
technologies out there sitting in deserts and, and, and beautiful places which support something which is being paid for by the consumer generally, and we know the kind of uh, subtle economic models that the digital networks have to attract our, our purchases and so on, but we're not aware of it. So, yeah, I'm not going to pretend this is easy. What I am going to pretend is we can't shy away just because it's hard. We've got to get stuck in. Now, please don't think this is just the Church of England. We are, in fact, a very small player. I mean, our total invested assets are about 3.7 billion, which sounds a lot, but of course across the universe is very small. It's in coalition with like-minded people through the Climate Action 100 Plus and so on and so on that we can attract the trillions of dollars of asset under me. Uh, under management, which gives us the leverage to get into the CEOs of Microsoft, BP, uh, and so on and so on. And we've got to stick with it. We've got to stick with it because it matters. And I, I have to say, can I just give a plug to PwC on this? I walked in this morning to your offices and I was very struck by your advertising to clients as they come in, which said something like human ingenuity combined with the right technology delivers real results, okay? And I buy that. That's exactly what I'm doing. You know that I spend a lot of my time developing and promoting new technologies because I'm clear that this has to be the way forward. But let's not pretend it all rests on whether people want to do it. Whether you want to do it, whether I want to do it, whether pension fund trustees want to do it, and so on. And that's the bit that bothers me because we live a wonderful lifestyle and we don't want to change it for all sorts of good reasons. The thing is, it is going to change. And if you love skiing, you'll probably already know that the ski that you uh, enjoy in the Alps and so on nowadays is generally manufactured rather than delivered from the skies. And as this sort of thing starts to permeate the world, I hope people will realize this is going to hit them personally and that's going to be painful and they will react to that. But we need more of that to drive the incentive into those of us who invest that this is for real and it's scary. Now, you, Adam, used the expression... Um, the risks are gathering pace, and that, of course, is at the heart of the IPCC report. I always like the Ernest Hemingway example. How do you go bankrupt gradually, then suddenly? And I would say to you all, we're in the gradual process. We think we've got time. We talk about 2050, and that sounds a very long time away. I don't think this is going to get way beyond uh, the next five years before we start to see massive change across society. This is happening much quicker than we think. And frankly, we've got to get into it no matter how difficult it is. So Adam, that's a good segue to turn to what trustees of pension schemes or anyone involved in managing them should do now and the practical challenges they're facing. So Clive talked about representing near 4 billion uh, of an asset portfolio. Obviously, the entire UK pension universe is in excess of two trillion of assets and uh, you and Liz are heavily involved in advising a good chunk of that what let me just come back to that question what is it that trustees who are facing all sorts of regulatory and disclosure requirements coming down the track 
what should they be doing right now? How do they tackle this impossibility of complexity of analysis? Yeah, th- I think this is the key question, really, that, that trustees need to answer. And I I agree with uh, what Kleiper said, that there's, you know, it's not an easy, um, there's, there's no easy answers in ESG. And I think trustees shouldn't try and reduce it to a set of simple metrics. And me and Liz had an interesting debate yesterday about exclusions and, um, you know, there are, there are various controversial sectors such as nuclear, where there's pension schemes that would completely exclude these assets. But at the same time, they could be a key contributor to, to reaching net zero and reducing carbon emissions. So I, I think it's unhelpful to just reduce these kind of discussions to a black and white um, framework. And then I, I think also trustees rely a lot on ESG ratings um, provided by third parties. And these these ESG ratings can be quite subjective. They can be quite opaque. You don't really know how the rating has been formulated. Um, and different uh, ratings agency can have different ratings for, for individual companies. So I, I think I, I would be hesitant to just rely on these simple metrics alone. And you really have to roll up your sleeves and get underneath uh, what is going on in your portfolio. Um, so I think just to, to sort of sum up, um, trustees should set out some clear measurable beliefs and make sure they clearly communicate these to their advisors and their investment managers and hold these parties to account uh, for their performance um, by diving deeply under the bonnet of their portfolio rather than relying on simplistic metrics. And Liz, I saw you nodding uh, when Adam was talking about getting into that detail. Um, what, yeah, what, what are you thinking? Yeah, so I think it's a, they're really fair points and I completely agree with everything Clive said. Um, but I do also, you know, recognise things like nuclear. It's not straightforward because the byproducts of nuclear plants are in fact used towards nuclear weapons in some cases. And so it's not as straightforward as one answer is actually the complete answer. And I think, you know, listening to both Raj and Clive talking then, it, it really struck me that this is a journey. We, we, for example, we know electric cars aren't the answer, but they're the better, they're definitely better than petrol. And everything is an evolution. So we are on an evolutionary journey with all of ESG. The bar will keep rising, sciences will improve, our outlook on the world will improve. And what trustees need to be doing is actually putting in place a good infrastructure of governance to think about how they're going to incorporate these considerations into their day-to-day life, into every decision, how they're going to keep keep up with developments, try and kind of be on the right side of the line there. But recognising that this is not simply a tick box exercise, it's not about one year's worth of metrics, it's not about a single TCFD report, it's about changing our way of being and really constantly challenging ourselves to think about the bigger ESG risks and opportunities in every decision we take. Can I can I just uh, come in on that, Liz? Yeah, so I very much agree, it is a journey, you're, you're, you're right. Um, what one thing we haven't specifically mentioned, which plays directly into trustee responsibility, is membership. So, what do the members think? I'm always curious to ask my colleagues: Do you consult your members on, for example, the views you might take as as a trustee board, the tilts, the beliefs that you have? And most people say, 
well, you know what? The only thing members are worried about is whether their pensions are paid or whether their pensions promise is safe. I don't believe that's true. And apart from the reward in terms of returns and in terms of risk mitigation, there's also the issue of reputation. And this is where I think talking to your members is a good idea. Now, I'm not suggesting that they will have a complete grasp of this and necessarily very significant, profound views that the trustee board doesn't have. But they may encourage the trustee board to take these issues more seriously. And that, in turn, I think can enhance the reputation of the fund and the sponsor. And in that, I always point as well to the issue of recruitment. Because in my experience, young people are taking this issue very seriously. I've just walked through London and I meet lots of people protesting. Now, some of them are my age. I have to say most of them are not. And I'm quite pleased about that because it is their world that's at stake, not especially mine. And I think sponsors and boards will find that if they get into this, if they start to formulate their views and develop their strategies and plans, that will attract talent into their organisations. And that is all part, to me, of the engagement that begins with your own membership. And Liz, from a governance point of view, have you got uh, any views about the, the voice of the membership, the role of the voice of the members? So I think, it's, I think your points are really well made, Clive. I think trustees just need to be very careful when gauging member views and how they use those views because taking into account a member's view of the world alone isn't acceptable from a fiduciary perspective and it will always all decisions will need to be linked back to financial factors but I do think it's right that when you're considering particularly more on the s side of the spectrum yes. and the societal elements which are far from straightforward actually gauging member views to help direct the conversation direct the strategy I think is something that more schemes should do and just finally on the diversity point I absolutely agree with you from a recruitment perspective we need to be looking at ensuring different voices are coming into the mix but I also think that's true of the advisor community trustees have traditionally used sort of their stable of advisors from the pensions industry and we are going into a new world which is a completely different discipline I think trustees really need to reconsider how they use advisors to be able to actually bring in a much deeper knowledge of ESG factors into their advisory cohort and that can involve actual sustainability professionals that are working alongside traditional scheme actuaries and scheme lawyers because it's a different discipline and it's a different skill. And I don't think enough trustees are approaching this this issue from that diversity lens. I, I was very struck, Liz, um, at the pressure we are under to offer more ethical environmental funds in our DC offerings. So... This is consultation in the sense that we are picking up very clear signals from across our DC community that they're no longer interested in simply growth stocks or equity stocks or the various asset allocations. They are very interested in the extent to which these funds reflect their views on responsibility and stewardship. And that is an objective example, which I think we can take. And I, I, I entirely accept your other points. Um, 
But I think reputationally, as we look forward, um, we have to be mindful. And it was interesting, um, two years ago, or, or nearly two years ago, we used our investment managers to develop some climate scenarios against which we could test the resilience of our various funds. Uh, and they're, they're a matter of public record. So we took one degree warming, two degrees, three degrees, four degrees. And we said to our members, well, here you are, here are the results. And you know what, At four degrees, we're in trouble. So I'm not going to pretend we've cracked this because I think four degree is a perfectly viable scenario looking ahead 20 years. Alas, we shall see. We do very well at one, good at two, three, we're fine, four, we're out. And I just think those sorts of advisor objectivity is vital in this equation. Well, I'm glad in a way that we turned to the subject of what members who are the ultimate point of all of these assets and all of these pension scheme entities, what they think, what their concerns might be. And even though it's not clear cut, Liz, to some extent, how we take account of their viewpoints. It's probably a fitting point to end on, but it sounds like we not only need to come back to this topic again at some point, but we'll come back and maybe dive more deeply into the member viewpoint. It's really quite rare, isn't it, to come across a topic topic that has such an existential impact over the long term, uh, yet it has short-term urgency, uh, but it's also so complicated um, to try and get your head around all the different angles and therefore the action you need to take. But thank you all, Liz, Adam and Clive, for joining me today to talk that through. If you have any questions as a listener or would like us to focus in on particular topics in future episodes, please drop us a note. Our contact details are in the episode notes for this show. And of course, if you'd like to find out when future episodes are released, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. The link again to that is in the show notes. You've been listening to Pensions Cast. Bye-bye for now. Mm-hmm.